What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hallelujah! Hello everyone everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We are in the midst of a study about the need for revival in America. Glory to God. The past two sessions have been absolutely anointed where I feel the that the, the messages that the Lord has placed on my heart are going forth and touching people's hearts because his word goes forth and does not return to him void. We need a spiritual revival in America right now. It's not Republican or Democrat or independent. This country's in a mess because of the churches, because of the Christians. <gasps> Brother Bob, how can you say that? Because the Christians let this country get into the mess that it's in. We allowed it. And now we are paying the price for it. And it's time that the churches rise up and take this nation back. Amen. Glory to God. Join me in a word of prayer. We'll get started in today's study. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the blessings we have and that we receive in Jesus' name. We ask, Lord, that your word would go forth this day through this internet, touching people's hearts, changing their lives, bringing revival to their hearts, bringing revival to this land that your word would go forth and accomplish what you please, and that every person that hears it would prosper in the name of Jesus, spirit, soul, and body. Lord, have your way. Lord, anoint these words. 
May you lead, guide, and direct as you see fit. For we give all of the honor, glory, and praise to you and our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Get your Bibles. Turn to Judges chapter 16 as we get ready to recite our statement of faith, commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed. You get your Bibles and start flipping pages there. You got Deuteronomy and Joshua and then Judges, all right? Just after the book of Joshua is the book of Judges. All right. Repeat these words after me. Let them sit in your heart and ponder them in your mind. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he's coming soon to judge both the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory, hallelujah. Mm, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Shout amen, somebody. Oh, praise God. Now, as you're turning in your Bible to Judges chapter 16, in September of 2001, following the terrorist attacks on 9-11, a national day of prayer and remembrance was held in Washington, D.C. The Reverend Billy Graham was invited to speak. And he used this opportunity to stress the need for revival in this land. He said, quote, One of the things we desperately need is a spiritual renewal in this country. We need a spiritual revival in America. And God has told us in his word, time after time, that we are to repent of our sins and we are to turn to him. And then he will bless us in a new way. Now, I said it then and I'll say it again today, just as I've said so many times since then. The only way America is going to survive is if we, as a nation, experience a good old-fashioned revival spiritual awakening, but before that can take place, we as individuals, we as a church, we as a nation must do three things. First, we need to recognize the need 
for revival. So what is revival, Brother Bob? I mean, is that just a bunch of people going to church 10 days in a row or something? No. It is not evangelism. There may be an evangelistic message, but a revival does not involve evangelism as the main product. It's not winning souls, although this will result during a revival. It's not emotionalism, although people's hearts will be touched and moved. What revival is, is a renewal of the spiritual life in an individual, or even among a group of people, a church. It's God's people getting right with God and obeying Him, His instructions. Amen? Consider consider what the state of the churches are all across America today, as well as the individuals making up not just the churches, but this nation as a whole, whether they go to church or not. First and foremost is a sense of complacency. In other words, self-satisfaction or being satisfied with the status quo. Oh, we're happy just the way we are. We don't want to change anything. You know, we don't want to upset the apple cart. Next is a lack of concern for the lost. And it is is a fact today that churches in America hardly do any soul winning. Most churches in America do not do any soul winning anymore. We're hiding or covering secret sins. Even the preachers no longer walk the walk. They just talk the talk. Do as I say, not as I do. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's good preaching, Brother Bob. I hope and my prayer is I'm stepping on toes out there right now. Amen. These preachers are into the do as I say thing. You know what I mean. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord? I'm not a God far off. I'm not a God far off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places and I won't see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth. Animosity towards other Christians, bitterness among people of God, bitterness towards the preacher or his wife, the list goes on and on. How, look at her wear that. Who does he think he is? I know he didn't have money to pay his electric bill last month. Here he is talking about being prosperous in God. Who's he think he is anyway? Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Most churches today, sadly feel like war zones. There's an unforgiving heart in the churches today. Whatever happened to, Lord, please forgive me, or two people walking down the aisle during the devotional time to pray and to cry together. 
You don't see that very often in churches anymore, do you? Today, churches are filled with pride. We have the attitude, I can do this on my own. I don't need God. Look what I did. I built this business. I did this or I did that. Instead of saying, look at what God has done in my life. I am blessed by Almighty God. You see the difference? This type of spiritual deterioration usually comes without an awareness of it. It takes someone to point it out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my purpose today. Amen. You see, we think we have it all together. Oh, yes, I'm good to go. But we don't. And in Judges chapter 16, look at verse 20 and 21. You see, Samson had the power of God upon him. But he played around with sin. You could say he played church. Uh-oh. Stepped on somebody's toes there. Don't, don't turn the dial. Don't turn me off. Just listen to what we got to say. Amen. You see, with Samson, he knew the anointing of God was upon him from the time he was conceived. But yet, he had a lustful eye. Instead of casting that devil down and living for the Lord... He just thought he was good to go. Hey, God's presence is with me. I can do anything I want. And the result was he never knew when he had lost the power of God on his life. And we covered this last time, but let's read these scriptures again. And she, Delilah, this is in 16, Judges 16, verse 20. Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. But he did not know that the Lord was departed from him. So the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him there with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. You see, the disciples had received from Jesus power and authority to both heal and to cast out demons. They lost their power also. But the sad thing is, they were not aware it was gone until Jesus told them it was because of their unbelief that they did not have this power and authority. You can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 17. Verses 19 and 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart from the crowd and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus replied, Because of your unbelief. Often, the condition of our hearts is such that we are not aware of our need at the very time we need it the most. It's like Samson or the disciples. You see, the flesh will always always fight against revival. To have revival, we have to first admit that we have the need for revival. Amen. You see, before this nation 
can experience a true revival, we as the body of Christ, as a group of believers, must recognize we have the need for revival. When I say we, I'm talking about those of us who are Christians. Folks, let's face it, unbelievers could care less about the spiritual condition of our churches. They just don't care. Or about the fact that the moral condition of our nation continues to decline and is the lowest that it has ever been since this nation was founded. Unbelievers just don't care. So that leaves it up to the church to carry the whole load. And see, that's where a lot of Christians get turned off. I don't want to do nothing more than my share. You're not called to carry your share and that's it. Jesus taught if you're compelled to carry someone's coat for a mile, he's referring to Roman soldiers who would, who would just draft someone and say, carry this for me for a mile. He says, go to. Use this as an opportunity to minister the word of God. But today, it's like, let me carry your coat. Who you think you are? You want me to carry your coat? See the difference? So the question is, what kind of revival do we need? We need a revival that will resurrect the church. Amen. Our churches today for the most part in America, are dead. There's no life in them. I just spent almost six weeks traveling around to different churches, and I would say 90% were dead. There was no altar call. If there was an invitation given, Nobody got born again. The preaching, sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't. It's not for me to judge. But the point is, there's no life. There's nobody yelling amen back at the pastor. Oh, you get some mumbled amens. Pastor says something, oh yeah, amen, yeah but no excitement to it. They're just doing the Christian thing and saying amen. You see, I don't care how much noise you make in your so-called worship service. And that's about all I hear in most churches today, a form of rock music or pop culture music. Very few actual worship songs. Amen. Oh, now I'm stepping on the music ministry. Brother Bob, you're just stepping all over our toes today. Amen. That's what I'm trying to do. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Just stand there with me and raise your hands and say, Amen, Brother Bob. Preach it. They need to hear it. We need to hear it. I hope I'm stepping on somebody's toes. Not just, I want to stomp on some toes. Spiritual toes. Because you need to have your toes stepped on. Amen. You see, folks, we are letting a world die and go to hell. The sad part is most Christians, most churches, most people don't 
even care. Amen. Jesus said to the church at Sardis, You have a name that declares you live, but you are really dead. To the church at Laodicea, he called upon them to repent. They thought they had no need of anything. And he rebuked the church at Ephesus for having left their first love. What is the first love? Do you remember how on fire for God you were when you were first born again? Oh, man, your life had just made a drastic change. You were anointed. You had God living in you. You knew it, and you were excited. That's the first love that Jesus is talking about. The love of God born into your heart. And a sad part, as you look at all seven churches in Asia, the letters that were being sent to them from the book of Revelation, they all resemble today's churches, especially here in America. They resemble the people who go to these churches. And some people only go to a particular church so they can say they belong to such and such church and so-and-so is my pastor. It's not because Jesus told them to go to that church. They have no interest in serving the Lord at that church. It's a prestige thing. Oh, yes, I go to the church that has 20,000 people in it. And what do you do to minister to those 20,000 people? Oh, me? I'm not in the church leadership. I just attend. Hmm. See the problem? Why couldn't you go to a church with 20 people in it? 20 people? Oh, no. That could not be a church for me. Why? Because you'd be called upon to help. It's easier to hide in the crowd. It's easier to do nothing than to do something. Because if you do nothing, you reap nothing. In other words, you're not getting anything out of that church. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Amen. Other people are satisfied with the way things are. When they go to church, they say, I've been going to this church here all of my life. My mama went here and her mama before her. And sometimes it's still the same pastor. Amen. They see no reason to change. They may not be they may not be fed true spiritual food there, but they don't want to change. They're being fed leavened bread, but they don't want to change. They don't want to purify themselves. They don't want to go to another church. They want to say, I have gone to this church my entire life. See where the problems lie? Yet there are others more concerned about their own agenda. What can they get out of attending this particular church. If they continue to attend this church, they are 
somebody in the church. But if they change churches, even if God tells them to change churches, they refuse to go because at the new church, they will be a nobody in the eyes of all the other somebodies at that church. You hear what I'm saying? Amen. We need as a nation, as a church, as the body of Christ here in America to cry out to God. Will you revive us again, Father? Amen. Wake up, America. We need a revival that will rekindle the old fires. Think about what revival means. If someone has a problem with substance abuse, whether it's drugs or alcohol, the first step they have to take before they can kick the habit is to admit they've got a problem. If someone's addicted to gambling or internet pornography, the only way they will ever come out of that addiction is by first admitting that they've got a problem and they cannot overcome it without help. But that will not happen until we see the need for revival. It will not happen until we admit we have, as a church, a spiritual problem that only God can fix. Too many Christians are in denial. We're kind of like, <coughs> excuse me, we're kind of like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They considered themselves to be the most holy, the most righteous people on the face of the earth. While at the same time, they considered everybody else to be sinners. Jesus told us about a Pharisee who prayed about himself by saying, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that tax collector over there. We are more like that than we want to admit. We don't even recognize the fact that our relationship to God is not where it needs to be. We're like the person Jesus was talking about when he said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and not pay attention to the beam that's in your own eye? First take the beam out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's in Matthew chapter 7. Are you old enough to remember prior to this demonic, purpose-driven church crap that's out there today? That we would have days of dedication to the Lord when we fasted, when we prayed and held prayer vigils. The day when we came to the church expecting to see great things from God. The message preached, hearts were broken, souls were saved in almost every service. Those were the days you would not even think about skipping church for anything else. Or the day when we look for some reason to serve God in some type of capacity, even if it was only cleaning the church building or cutting the grass. Matter of fact, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you asked the pastor if you could come in on Saturday and clean the auditorium or cut the grass or pull weeds out of the flower beds. When? I would be willing to bet 
Well, I don't want to bet. I would be willing to say 99% of you have not ever done this at all. Hey, hello. Don't turn me off yet. Glory to God. I'm not just stepping on toes. I'm starting to slap your face now with the Spirit, ain't I? You see... A revival that will restore the joy and victory back into the lives of the children of God is needed now more than ever. There are too many defeated Christians living in America today. Too many discouraged Christians filling the church pews today. Too many backslidden Christians being observed by society today. And I'm talking from the preacher on down. Amen. We need to realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need a revival where God will give us a song, a new song in our hearts again. Not a song that's about sex and drugs or killing people. We need to get to the place where it's exciting to be alive again. It's exciting to be a Christian again. It's exciting to go to church again. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. How long has it been since you read your Bible or spent more than one minute in prayer? When was the last time you stood up in church and publicly thanked God for answering prayer? When was the last time you helped somebody in need without expecting something in return? When was the last time you prayed for someone who was lost or even invited them to church? How long has it been since you shared your faith with anyone? Or is that something that you have never even attempted to do? Now, let's contrast those questions with these. Now, be honest. Be honest in your answer as you compare yourself to the questions I already I just asked. And these I'm going to ask you now. Are you ready? When was the last time you talked about someone behind their back? Gossip. How long has it been since you refused to talk to someone or turned your head away when they spoke to you? When was the last time you watched a movie you shouldn't have watched? Or listened to a song that you shouldn't have listened to? How long has it been since you cursed? Or maybe even told an off-color joke? Come on, be honest. How long has it been since you wished you had something that your neighbor owns? A boat, motorcycle, whatever. How long has it been since you bought something you know you could have done without? but you wanted to look cool. Answer those questions. How long has it been? Folks, let me ask you this. Let me talk to the kids for a second. Children, how long has it been since you disobeyed your parents or talked back to your parents? When was the last time you purposely said or did something to hurt somebody's feelings. It's all the same thing. 
If you answer these questions honestly, you'll be able to see we are in need of revival. So the first thing we need to recognize is that we need revival. Unfortunately, we as Christians have been influenced more by the world than the world has been influenced by us. We need to face up to the spiritual realities that are in place today. We need to see ourselves as we really are, not as what we think we are. Measure yourself up against the book of Acts in the Bible because that is the outline of what the church is supposed to be doing. Is your church doing what's outlined in the book of Acts? If not, why not? Well, Brother Bob, the book of Acts was in Jesus' time. Those things were just for them. Is that right? I'm sorry, I thought the Bible said God never changes. So if he used the church from the book of Acts as the example of the first church, do you think he set it up that way because he wants it to change or because he wants it to operate that way? Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Amen. Here's another example. I'm not going to dwell too long on this one, and you'll see why. <laughs> if you're overweight and want to lose 20, 30 pounds, the first thing you have got to do is admit to yourself you are overweight and that you will not be able to lose the weight you want to lose unless you make some changes. In the same way, we are not going to see any positive changes in our society until we, as Christians, start making some changes in the way we live our lives, especially when it comes to our prayer lives. The second point I want to make today is this. We must recognize the vital role prayer plays in bringing about revival. It takes discipline, folks, to lose weight. Let's be honest. In that area, most of us are not very disciplined. I know I'm not. I try to be. Amen. But I guess I've lost somewhere around a thousand pounds or more during my life. The problem is I keep finding them again. Amen. I know you can relate. Some of you people can relate to that. I know I'm preaching to somebody out there. We always want the quick fix. We want to drink a slim fast or two, take a few diet pills, and then after just a few days when we step on the scale, we only see that we lost a pound or two. And most of us get discouraged and just give up at that point. In a way, I think that's how it is when we start praying for revival. We get really excited about the possibilities that revival holds for a few days. 
For a few days we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and confess our sins to God the Father. But eventually, maybe after a few days for some or a few weeks for others, we get discouraged because we do not see any visible signs that our prayers are making any difference. We don't see any evidence of revival in our lives or in the lives of the people around us. So, we just give up and stop praying for it. George Feeney, he was a great evangelist way back in the 17th century, once told about a man who lived in a small town, and the town was in desperate need of revival. The little church that the man attended was nearly dead. Most of the members who did attend were suffering from spiritual apathy or indifference or complacency. The majority of the people in the town were unbelievers and could seem like they were the they didn't even care about spiritual matters. And in a way that kind of sounds like our country today, doesn't it? At least it does to me. We live in a community where statistics say at best 18 to 20 percent of the people are attending a church of any kind on a regular basis. And many of those that are in church today are pathetic. I mean, <laughs> apathetic. Pathetic would be accurately describing them too, but amen. Uh, apathetic. You know, don't write me a letter saying, Brother Bob called me pathetic, you ugly thing, you. The people are indifferent or complacent when it comes to reaching the other 72% of the people, 72, 82, 82% of the people in this area who are not in church. Now, some pastors talk a big game. Oh, yeah. But they have very little results. I mean, you can be the claim to be the best quarterback that ever lived. But if you have never played for the NFL, if you never actually made it to the big game in the Super Bowl and proved it where it counts, it's just a bunch of hot air. Pastors are the same way. They may talk a lot about impacting their community. They may talk a lot about the lost in their area. But if nobody in the church is inviting anyone to church... Maybe it's because they don't believe the church is going to do anything to make a change. Amen? I know there's some pastors out there that just had their toes stepped on. Amen? We need to learn a lesson about the importance of prayer from this old blacksmith that George Finney wrote about. This person had such a strong burden to see his church and his town experience a revival and a spiritual awakening, that he closed the doors of his blacksmith shop and spent the entire afternoon in prayer, crying out to God, asking God to pour out his spirit on that little church and asking him to convict people of their sins. Now think about what he did. He sacrificed an entire afternoon of wages to pray for revival. 
How many of you would be willing to take off half a day and meet at the church and pray for three or four hours for revival? Hmm? I bet not many. I bet if the pastor said that he was going to start a 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock revival this Friday, and would you take off work and come meet him at the church, there would probably only be one or two people, and those would be the one or two people that always come to whatever the pastor asks for. Amen. You see, this man, after he spent the entire afternoon in prayer, the man felt led to go talk to his pastor and ask him to open up the church next day, the very next day, for a special service. The pastor tried to talk him out of it because it was a work day, and he was afraid nobody would show up. But the man kept pressing him, so eventually the pastor reluctantly agreed to do so. The next day, when it came time for the service and the pastor walked out, he was shocked to see that the church was completely full. He didn't know what to do since he had not really expected anybody to show up. So he didn't even prepare a message. So they all just sat there in silence for several minutes until one man broke out and started begging for someone to pray for him. Others did the same. Before they knew it, revival had broken out and people's lives were being changed. Take note of this, pastors. The pastor did not preach. Sometimes, as Abraham Lincoln once said, sometimes it's better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. Amen? Most pastors think they are the gifted orators from God. That they have a gift to speak. It's not so. You should be the mouthpiece of God while in the pulpit. But sometimes God has to say, shut up, fool. I'm working on something here. You know, you heard me tell a story. that I was preaching in a church and it was a good sermon. I mean, I had the complete 40, I would have to rush to get in 45 minutes. It'd be probably closer to an hour that I'd be preaching. And I got 15 minutes into my sermon and the Holy Spirit told me, okay, stop preaching, give the invitation. And... (laughs) When you look at the video, I'm out in front with the people, and I just stop when I heard the Holy Spirit say that. And I turned around, walked back up to the pulpit, put both hands on the side of the pulpit, and just bowed my head. It looked like I was praying, and I was. I was praying to God, arguing with God to be more accurate. In my mind and in my spirit, saying, God... It's only been 15 minutes. I got at least another half hour. I got a good sermon here. And the Holy Spirit said again, shut it down and give the invitation. So I looked up and told the people, the Holy Spirit just told me to shut it down and give the invitation. So I went through the invitation. One person came forward. From the back of the room, a deacon in the church came forward and gave his heart to the Lord. 
You see, he had been deceived in the thinking he had been saved all his life. But whatever it was I said in that sermon, it convicted him. And he told the Lord, you know, he, he just wanted to run down the altar and get saved right then. So the Holy Spirit made it possible. So you see, you don't have to preach an entire message. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes God just has to say, shut up. I'm working on something here. And when you try and argue with him, you know, about, well, I still got 20 minutes or whatever. He says, shut up, fool. And you can either obey God or not. If I would have ignored what the Holy Spirit was saying and kept on going, the devil would have talked this deacon out of doing that. Because it had already started in his mind. He says, what do you mean you're going to go up front? You told people you're saved 15 years ago. What's going to happen? What are they going to think? But because I obeyed the Holy Spirit that fast, the man had not had an opportunity to ponder those thoughts. Amen? So, in the story we just talked about with the man, the blacksmith, and the revival in the church, somebody later discovered that people all over town began being convicted of their sinful lifestyles at just about the same time that the old blacksmith closed his doors and started praying at his shop. The Bible tells us if we want God to heal our land, if we want God to send another great revival, that we are going to have to pray like we have never prayed before. We're going to have to be so burdened for the lost and for our community that we will go without food and without water, maybe even sleep in order to pray and plead with God to send the convicting power of the Holy Spirit upon the residents of this town or nation, wherever you may live. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I need to lose some weight, and I'm working on it. I know I need to eat healthier and get some exercise. I'm working it. I've, I've made some progress, but I don't always follow the plan. Amen. Sometimes I try to justify what I eat by saying, I just don't have time to cook, so let's go through the drive through Or I try to justify my lack of exercise by saying that I've got too much work to do and I can't even take the time to go for a walk. The reality is, the truth of the matter is, I want to eat that fast food and I don't want to exercise. I'm not proud of it. But the truth sometimes hurts. Amen? If you are being honest with yourself, you do the exact same thing. Unfortunately, many Christians have the same type of attitude when it comes to spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study. You know you need to spend more time reading God's Word and praying, but you justify your disobedience by convincing yourself that you're too busy. And God will understand. <sighs> That's just an excuse. I usually get up somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m., maybe 6 on the weekends. You see, I get my Bible study finished first thing in the mornings. My prayer time, my alone time with God, just being ministered to. 
Then, no matter how busy I am during the day, I know my priorities started right. Amen. If I know I need to be somewhere early, maybe catching a flight or whatever, I adjust my wake-up time two hours before I need to leave to do this. So I have to leave, let's say, for the airport at 5 a.m. to catch a 6.30 flight somewhere. I get up at 3. I'm still going to do my alone time with God. I'm not bragging. Don't say Brother Bob's bragging. No, I'm not doing that here. It's an example. I'm just giving it to you as an example. Are you following God or are you following the world? If you're following God, what does the scripture say? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then what? All these other things will be added to you. So if you get up earlier than you have to in order to study God's word and spend time with him in prayer, I call that putting God first. So what's his part? To add to you the things you need, including the energy to get through the day by walking up or waking up two hours early. Amen. The truth of the matter is, the majority of Christians today, they don't want to read their Bibles or pray. They want to do what everybody else is doing. They want to talk on their cell phones. They want to text. They want to surf the internet. They want to play video games. They want to watch TV or go to the movies or listen to hours upon hours of music on their iPods. Maybe, just maybe, we need to be reminded about what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. He said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I believe that's the problem in America today. Too many Christians and too many churches have conformed to the pattern they see in the world. What do I mean by that? Well, many people go to church to be entertained instead of going to worship God. Don't get me wrong, I don't see anything wrong with having a good time at church. But if the only reason a person comes to church is to be entertained, then something is definitely wrong with that person's relationship to God. You know, give me a second here. Some people will use the excuse of going to church for the worship service because it's a famous church or, or you know I'll just I'll, I'll just call them out. I'll use the name Hillsong Church from Australia. Darlene Sheck made them famous. And people would go to church to listen to Hillsong's music. They forgot about whatever the sermon was about because they were just there for the music. Then on the other end of it, I remember uh, Jesse Duplantis was coming to Austin, Texas. Jesse Duplantis, if you're not aware of it, he's a very famous preacher who is able to tell stories that just have you laughing at the guy. It's like a comedian. 
but the messages that are contained in his stories really hit home. He uses the the comedic effect to get people to drop their guard, and then he hits them with the word. Amen? He was coming to Austin, and we went down there, and they had the normal worship service in the beginning, but everybody was there to see him, the comedian. They wanted to be entertained. That's what I mean by people go to church to be entertained. Amen? If the only reason a person comes to church is to be entertained, then something is wrong with that person's relationship to God. If a pastor or any other person in the church does or says anything for any other reason than to glorify and magnify the name of Jesus Christ, then he or she is sinning against God. If you or someone says, church was boring today, then you were there for the wrong reason. You are to go to church to worship not to be entertained, to worship. If you as a pastor or preacher during the course of your sermon prep, or as often happens to me is when I'm preaching, in the middle of your sermon, God gives you a word to say, and then you begin to question yourself. If I say this, sister so-and-so is going to get mad, or brother so-and-so is going to be offended. Some people may actually get up and walk out. That's going to impact the offering because it hadn't even been collected yet. If you find yourself saying things like this, it's for that person God is wanting you to speak. Sometimes the best wake-up call is a good slap in the face. Amen? Well, Brother Bob, what happens if they get offended and leave the church? What's that to you? What is that to you? Do you serve God or man? If God tells you to say this and you say, thus saith the Lord, and you let it rip, and three quarters of the church goes, I ain't sitting here for this, and they get up and walk out, what is that to you? If you are doctrinally 100% correct, and you know that the Holy Spirit has told you to say this, what is that to you? Well, Brother Bob, they'll be sheep without a shepherd. No, they won't. Half of them will come back anyway. The other half will go find another church. Maybe God's trying to get them out of your church and into the church he wants them to be in. Well, what about the offerings, our budget, blah, 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 all this stuff? Do you serve God or man? Do you trust God or trust those people filling the pews to meet the needs of the church? Amen? If God told you to say what you were told to say, then God is responsible for what happens. Amen. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Let me give you another example. Luke chapter 18. We see the story about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking justification for his lifestyle. What does that sound familiar today? Amen. He was basically asking Jesus to tell him he was good to go. And then in return, he'd probably give Jesus an offering. That's probably what he'd done with religious leaders of of, of, of his day. Kind of like what the Catholic Church does 
to mafia members. Oh, there I go stepping on toes again. You know, you can't buy your salvation. Even though that's one thing the Catholic Church says you can do. Anyway, glory to God. We read, beginning in verse 18, A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you calling me good? No one is good except one, that's God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he interrupted and said, All these I've kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You lack only one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Some Bible commentators say this was probably supposed to be Judas's replacement. God was lining him up for a huge blessing. But he didn't want to change his life. Jesus did not preach smooth things to him. He hit him right across the face with the one thing that was holding him back. <clears throat> holding him back from achieving more in his life than he could even imagine. He loved money more than he loved God. Jesus didn't hold back from saying what the Spirit of God told him to say. And it shouldn't hold you back either, preacher. Amen? Even though that man left, he had heard the word. The seed had been planted. And that's all we're supposed to do. Jesus said in, I think it's Mark 20, the sower sows money. No. The sower sows the word. That's it. The word. If they get a huffy and walk off, you sowed the word. And now it's been planted in their heart. Let God take care of the rest. Amen. We as a nation need to experience another great awakening. But before that can happen, we have to recognize our need for revival and we have to change our attitudes towards spending time in prayer and Bible study. You know, in Deuteronomy 29, it's recorded that God said, even though the temple was very beautiful, that if the Israelites turned their backs on him, that a day would come when people would pass by its ruins and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? Verse 25 says, Because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That's why he brought all this disaster upon them. In the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, it also has something important to say to us about God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Verses 1 through 3 in Deuteronomy 28 says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Moses then lists several ways that God would bless the nation of Israel. 
He said that God would bless them economically, that their crops and their herds would be bountiful. He also said God would protect them from their enemies. And it's well documented that the forefathers of the United States founded this nation on Christian principles. And I believe that is the main reason that God has blessed the United States so much during the 230 plus years of our existence. We are without a doubt the richest, most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Our government, our way of life, our freedoms are envied by so many people around the world. This in despite of the attempts of the current politicians who are trying to tear it down and destroy it. But I'm not going to get off on that subject. That's for another day. I want you to read with me God's warning to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, he said, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and you do not carefully follow all of his commands, and you do not follow the decrees I'm giving you today, then all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And he then goes into great detail concerning the curses. He said he'd curse their cities and their fields. He said that he would curse their crops and their herds. He said he'd strike them down with diseases. And finally, he said he would cause them to be defeated before their enemies. And folks, I believe that the United States of America is at that point right now today. We are at the weakest we've ever been since the Vietnam War. Brother Bob, how can you say that? I mean, our military, military is still the greatest in the world. I believe that. I served a good portion of my life in the U.S. Army. But if you find yourself fighting against God, I don't care who you are, you will not win. One Boy Scout anointed by God could defeat an entire army if God anointed him to do that. I don't think for even one minute that the God of Islam, Allah, is greater than our God. That is not happening. But I can read the Bible and see where God allowed other insignificant nations that worship false idols defeat Israel when Israel refused to obey. What makes the United States of America any better than the nation of Israel? Nothing. Not one thing. So if God did it to them and he had a covenant to protect them, if all they had to do was obey and when they failed to obey, he allowed them to be defeated by small, insignificant countries, then the same thing can happen to the United States if we do not obey. Amen. Anyway... King Solomon and the nation of Israel did not heed God's warnings. Instead, they drifted away from God. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And it got so bad that the Israelites were actually sacrificing their own children to Molech the god of the Amorites, who can be referenced to the god of the abortionists, 
That's right. Abortion is a form of worshiping a false god. But again, that's a sermon for another day. Now, as a result of their disobedience and sin, God allowed a civil war to split the nation into two. Then in 722 BC, he allowed the Assyrians to come in and completely destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Isn't it a coincidence that Syria is again about to inflict punishment on, this time, the United States for our sins? You see, God never changes. Anyway, 155 years later, the nation of Israel still had not repented of their sins. So he allowed this time the Babylonians to conquer and completely destroy the city of Jerusalem, burning everything, including God's temple that Solomon had built. You see, they believed that hey, they had the temple. and God would never allow that temple to be desecrated. Think again. In the fifth chapter of Isaiah, we read about another time when God's people had turned away from him. God had promised to protect Israel from their enemies as long as they worshipped and served him. But, once again, they turned to other gods. So in verse 5, he said, Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall, and it'll be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland. Neither pruned nor cultivated briars and thorns will grow there. Has God removed the hedge that's been protecting the United States of America? I believe he did briefly remove it during 9-11. The following weekend, that's what I preached about. It was a warning. And it was a warning then, but it may be permanent now. We have to see sin for what it really is and then confess it and get rid of it. Repent. It needs to be forsaken, left behind once and for all. This, folks, is a wake-up call for the Christians in America. Friend, God will not use a dirty vessel. We must desire to be revived. In most cases, we don't want revival bad enough to make any changes in our life. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 reads, See you, Lord, while he, seek your, the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen? God wants to send revival upon those who genuinely seek it. We need first a personal revival, ourselves getting right with God, our families need to fall into line, our churches need to get right with God, our pastors need to preach the word and live it before the people, and people need to do the same. Our country needs to get back to in God we trust. Amen. I say wake up, America. Revival is not turned on and off like a hot water faucet. Yet, if we meet God's conditions, 
He will, and he wants to give us revival. The question, will you not revive us again so your people may rejoice? The answer is yes, if we obey him. Amen. And finally, not only do we need to recognize the need for revival, we also need to realize that God is the only one that can heal our land. It's not up to whatever politician gets elected. Only God can heal this land. It's not Republican or Democrat or Independent or Communist or Socialist or Conservative. It doesn't matter. Only God can heal this land. It is written that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it like a river wheresoever he wills. Even Obama, his heart is in the hand of God. If God wills, he will turn Obama's attitude. If Obama obeys God, God will heal this land. God is the one we need to be looking to. Not man, not the Republican Party, not the Democrat Party, but God. Amen. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Glory to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise him for his word. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. Praise God. I'm almost out of time. I got to hurry. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. When it was first introduced, welfare was seen as the answer to many of the problems in our nation and society. That was the promise of the politicians. Now, we know that even an elaborate welfare system does not work. In fact, in some cases, welfare complicated and even added to the problems in America. It created entire generations of those who are totally dependent upon the government, upon government handouts. And they are incapable of using their own motivation, their own mind, their own ingenuity to achieve the American dream or any semblance of it. Our military is one of the greatest militaries in the world, if not the greatest. And it is right now waging war against the Taliban and ISIS and all that. But as strong as our military is, it cannot guarantee our safety. Especially when the president wants to open a new front. Where we're helping people in one location and fighting against the same group of people in another location. That'd be like helping the SS in France and fighting the Nazis in Germany during World War II. It doesn't make any sense. Yet that's what we're doing with our military today. Amen. The, the military is being run by people who've never held a regular job or held a job with any responsibility whatsoever. They look at it as a game. Whoops, lost that round, lost that chess piece. What they fail to realize is when they fail, it costs American soldiers their lives. Anyway, higher taxes, more government, multiple social programs have not and will not resolve the difficulties we're facing. 
Healthcare reform will not ease the pain. Technology and science have not, nor can they, provide the answers. The only way our nation will be healed is if the Lord of the universe intercedes on our behalf. Our text today sets forth a pattern and states the promise that healing follows forgiveness. We notice this in the ministry of Jesus. He forgave their sins and healed their diseases. Forgiveness follows repentance. When people turn away from sin and selfishness, God hears and he forgives. Repentance can best be explained as turning from sin and going towards God. Amen. When I'm explaining this concept to someone who's lost, I say repentance is like a group of soldiers who are marching in one direction and when their commanding officer yells, to the rear, march, they all turn around in unison and march in the opposite direction. When we repent, we turn from our sin. We turn to God. In other words, we should seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, once said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Until we as a nation realize there is no other place for us to go for healing except to God, we will continue to suffer the consequences of our sins. Others have preached that education is the answer to all of our problems. But that doesn't explain why Mohammed Atta, who is a college graduate, boarded a plane in Boston, hijacked it, and flew it into the World Trade Center, killing him himself and thousands more. If education was the answer, he wouldn't have fallen for the lies of the devil and believed that Allah would reward him for killing innocent people. I can guarantee you one thing. He doesn't believe it now. Oh, I have no doubt that Muhammad and he are occupying the same space in hell. You see, that's the lie of the devil. If you believe it, you go to hell forever. Amen. If you do not believe what the Bible says, if you do not believe what God says, if you do not believe what Jesus says, and that he was our sacrifice for our salvation, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, then you go to hell. It's as simple as that. Someone once said that our only hope for survival is revival. And I agree with that. I've said, and I will continue to say, that unless our nation experiences a great revival right now, the church as we know it today will be a thing of the past. Many of our churches will be made into museums or shelters for the homeless or simply be boarded up or torn down. Our nation is in serious trouble, but there is hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. The only thing God is waiting for is for us to realize that we need healing and that he's the only one that can heal us. If you need forgiveness in your life, I ask you right now today to pray this prayer with me. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then revival can start in your life. Amen. Repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being my Savior. I receive the forgiveness of my sins right now. I receive you, Lord, as my Savior. Come into my heart and create in me that new life and help spark revival in my life, in our church, and in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher, 
Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.